Hallmark? You know, my wife and I have been in, uh, in uh, Colorado this last week visiting uh, Michael and uh, Misty and our three grandkids out there. And honestly, I didn't want to come home. You know, it's hot here, isn't it? How many would rather be in the mountains of Colorado this morning? Okay, well, I'm, you're with me. I, that's where I'd rather be too. <laughs> but thank you for being here this morning. On, the, on our way back, uh, we stopped in uh, Raton Pass to have a little quick breakfast. We left early. And I said, now, Diane, if, if we turn on this road and go west, uh, in just about an hour and a half, we'll be in Red River, New Mexico. And I said, we, then we'll be quarantined for 14 days. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> she said, but who's going to afford it? I said, I don't know. I got a credit card. Let's just go anyway. <laughs> but, but we turned and came home. And uh, we're, we're glad to be home. But boy, I, 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 you know, when you get out in the cool mountains, there's a quite, have you been watching? There's several of our people out there, aren't they? And uh, they're enjoying it. So uh, let's pray for them. Pray for them that they'll come home. And uh, in, uh, in a timely fashion, okay? Well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak today. And uh, I know that we're on a, a strict time limit. And I've already been warned four times, preacher, you can't go too long. So I'm going to try to stay with a script today. And uh, Pastor John and Joy are out in Missouri. And they're having a, uh, they were having a missions meeting. And after... Uh, uh, late time, they, they actually canceled it and went online, but they already had reservations, so they're in Missouri. And uh, I know it's hot there, too, so pray for them, will you? Uh, they didn't go to the other way, to the, the cool mountains. But John has, uh, Pastor John has been going through uh, the seven churches of Revelation. And so when you turn this morning, my assignment is chapter 3. And uh, I thought it was interesting how it fell that uh, uh, I'm, 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 my assignment is to preach the, uh, uh, the church of Sardis. Now, the church of Sardis was the almost dead church, and so here, here I am in the latter years of my life. Uh, my son gives me the, the almost dead church to preach. Honestly, I'd rather preach the Philadelphia church. That's the next one. Because the Philadelphia church is a, a quite a bit, there's a quite a bit of resemblance in Hallmark Baptist Church and the Philadelphia Church. So, but, but I think our pastor will be back, I guess, and will preach next Sunday on Philadelphia. I know that's the next one. And uh, so let's turn to Revelation chapter number 3. And just by way of review, and something you're familiar with doing every Sunday, uh, God is good all the time. Oh, hey, that, that's fair. You, you do it better for a pastor, and, that, and that's okay. But what, what I'd like for you to do right now, I know you're scattered out, but I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, God still loves you. Turn to your neighbor. Uh, and then say to them, even, even the way you are. <laughs> now I want you to say, look the other way and say, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Yeah, exactly. Well, God is in the business of changing us and transforming us. And when we look at the seven churches, it begins in chapter 1 with the vision of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and how powerful is that wonderful vision of Jesus. He, he is there in his glorified state. But then we turn to the letters. And if you'll look, if you will, in verse number 18 of chapter 1, let's go back for just a moment. And I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And so Jesus tells John, write the things that you have seen, the things that which are and the things which shall take place after. That's a, that's a three-point outline of the whole book of Revelation. He said, I want you to write what you've seen. That's chapter 1. He saw the glorified Christ. And then he said, the things which are. Those are the seven churches that we're studying right now. That's the second part of the book of Revelation. And then he said, the things which shall take place after this, after the church age, after the church is raptured out. And so we see that in chapter number 4 in the rest of the book. This is a marvelous book. I hope that you'll take time to read all of it and think about it and bring all the questions about Revelation that you don't understand, write them and send them to your pastor, will you? Did you hear what I said? Well, all the questions that you have the book of Revelation, I want you to write your pastor. I, I'm not your pastor. You, you know that, don't you? And, and ask him all those questions. I know he's listening this hour. <laughs> At least he said he was going to. So I know he's thrilled to death that I gave that. But anyway, I... Uh, I know that the glory of Jesus, the vision that, uh, that John saw is there listed in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, we read about Ephesus. And the Ephesus, Ephesus church was a church that had, was doing a lot of good things, but they had lost their first love. And then the next church is in chapter 2 and verse number 8. It's the Smyrna church. And the Smyrna church had endured a lot of persecution. And they were, uh, they were encouraged to be faithful unto death. And, and, and it's kind of an interesting comment. He said, I know you're going through hard times. I know it's difficult for you. But uh, Church of Smyrna, just, I want you to know something. It's going to get worse. That sounds like the pandemic, doesn't it? Sounds like what we're going through now. Well, Smyrna, they said, just persevere through it. Uh, it'll come to pass, and be, uh, the Lord has a crown of life for you. Then the, the, the third church that is mentioned there is uh, uh, the church of Pergamos. And in chapter number uh, 2 and in verse number 12, we have the Pergamos church. And it was a church that needed to declare and defend the truth of God because there was a lot of error coming into the church. And then the next church is uh, the church of Thyatira. And uh, uh, we heard last Sunday in verse number 18 of chapter 2, the church of Thyatira was a church that was uh, literally needing a, a revival of holiness. And they were, uh, they were invaded by a lot of uh, practices of evil and, and wickedness. And so uh, the corrupt church is spoken of in the, there. But today we're going to look at chapter number 3, and that church is the church of Sardis. And so let's read together chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things, says he, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that, you have, that you're alive. But in reality, you're dead. Did you see that? Every one of these churches that we have had up to, uh, up to now, the Lord has commended 
what they're doing, but he said, I have somewhat against you. He said that to Ephesus. He, he said that to Smyrna. He said that uh, to Pergamos and also, and even to the corrupt church. He said in verse 19 of chapter 2, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And then he had, and then he had something he wanted to say against them. But this church, he doesn't commend them about much of anything. They are a church about to die. For these churches, the Lord has a special message for every one of them. And he says, these things, uh, he says to the, the seven spirits of God, to the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are, can you say it to me? What? Oh, say that one more time. You are that's, that's a sad thing, isn't it? It's a very sobering message. You know, it's, it's a time when you think everything is going well, and people that says they had a reputation, that they were alive, and yet they weren't. And so he says in verse number two, be watchful, strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. Oh, there's a little bit of life there, it looks like. He said, you need to strengthen the things that are about to die, for I have not found your works perfect for God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Turn, he said. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names in Sardis that have not defiled their garments. And they, have, and, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There were a few true followers in this church left. Most of this church was made up, a church that they had a, they, they're known as a live church. They're known as a church that had a reputation for being a glowing church. It was, not a, it, was, it, was, it was a church that was moving forward in programs and moving forward in, and maybe in attendance, and they maybe had a huge crowd. But it said, you need to know that there are just a few in there that are real believers. You know, that's a sad thing. When you recognize that church, and, and Jesus looked at this church, and he said, there are just a few followers, true believers. Well, you see, in the last days when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he's going to separate in the church the wheat from the tares. He's going to separate true believers from those who are just fake believers. You know, there are, every church is made up of people who are true followers of Jesus and those who are not. That, that's kind of, a, kind of a sad thing to say, isn't it? But that's what Jesus is saying here. So the Bible says in verse number 5, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out their name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then he says, He who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, let's just bow for prayer, will you? Father, I pray that you'll help us to hear what you're saying to us today. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will bless these who are here and those who are watching uh, live. And Lord, we just pray that we will hear the message that you have for us from this text.
because it is your word that gives life. It is your word, your message to us, and enabled by the Holy Spirit that gives us true life. So I pray that you will bless us now in this hour in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, now these seven churches are real churches. Uh, if I had a map today, you could trace the, the, the location of these churches. They were all kind of in a row if you were going on a journey. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, gives to John these messages literal, to literal churches, and he sent them to the angels. And some will say that's a real angelic being. Uh, I, I think most of the commentators agree that the angels of the churches are the messengers of the churches, and, and most people agree that's the pastor of the church who has given the message to deliver because the angels didn't come down. I have I haven't seen too many angels come down and preach to churches today. Have you? I'm certainly not an angel. And I know your pastor well. He's not an angel either. But, but nevertheless, I, I, just want you, I just want you to understand that God chooses men of clay to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen there? God calls men to preach the Word of God and calls men to pastor churches. And so the angels, the Bible says, if you go back in chapter 1, and you'll see that he says, verse 20, the seven stars are the angels of the churches. He said, the mystery of the seven churches, or the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the stars are the angel, the messenger of the churches, and the lampstands are the churches. So the lampstands represent these seven churches. The lampstands, they represent seven literal churches that lived that day. But do you realize that not one of those churches is alive today? You can't go and visit the church of Thyatira. You can't go and visit the church of Pergamos. They're not any of them alive. They all died. They all vanished from the face of the earth. Now, this is a serious message, and he is saying to Sardis, you're just about ready. I'm just about ready to come as a thief and destroy your witness and destroy the fact that you are a real church. You know, there's a certain time when a, a Bible study becomes a church. Did you know that? A lot, of, a lot of churches start in a little Bible study in a home, and then uh, somebody goes to start a new church, and they got a Bible study, and all of a sudden, uh, they gather a few, people are being saved, and all of a sudden that church decides they want to gather and they want to be church. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to an organizational meeting, but it's an exciting time. I've been to several of them. And it's a time when people, a small group together, will come together and they'll say, we are ready, we believe, led by the Holy Spirit of God to become a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they, they decide they're going to be a church that will hold up the Word of God to be a gospel-preaching church. They're going to be a church that is a New Testament church, and they're going to hold to the Word of God. They're going to preach the gospel. They're going to align themselves together. They're going to sign a charter and say, we covenant together to do the work of the ministry, and we're asking Jesus to anoint us as the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I've been to several of those things. I'm telling you, they're, they're really exciting. And uh, when, when that group, a small group of people transforms by the power of Jesus Christ from a Bible study to a church. Well, all of these churches had had that. But there, here's a message Jesus says to the seven churches. He's walking among them. I want you to understand something. He's still walking there. He'll still, he's still walking 
among the churches. And so, the, and I really appreciate our pastor going through these churches because it's a time to examine Jesus examining our church. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? How are we doing, Lord? You know, every, every Sunday I hear Pastor John say, uh, and ask you to say, God, I'm listening. Would you say that for me? God, I'm listening. Would you listen to hear what God is saying to you today? The Church of Sardis. In 20, 2014, Tom Rainer wrote a book titled The Autopsy of a Dead Church. And uh, he stated in that book that in 2014, there were 900 churches close their doors every year in America. 900. That's 18 every week. Closing their doors, packing up, and leaving. But he said there were 12 factors that contributed to the demise of a church. He said, I've been in a lot of them, and Tom Rainer is, is a church specialist. He travels all over the country and speaks. He said, but the main thought that he gave, the main idea of a church is that they think they're alive, but they're not. They think they're doing well. It says in, in chapter 3 about this church, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. You have a name, you have a reputation, that you're a living church. And he said the problem, the main problem with churches that are dying is they're dying and don't know it. They have a terminal illness, and they don't understand it. Now, Chuck Swindoll, I, I was reading his commentary on the Church of Sardis this week, and that he gave five marks. Let me give them to you real fast. I think we have them for you. Five marks of a dead church. A dead church worships its past. It only talks about the former pastors, the former days, the former people, and talks about the past. They live in the past. Number two, a dead church is inflexible and refuses to change. Methods may change, and every generation has to change their methods to reach that generation. But the message stays the same. Now, a dead church will be inflexible and refuse to change. A dead church often has carnal and lazy leadership. It's like, it's like churches I've been in where the pastor gets old and older and older, and the staff gets older, and they don't know when to quit. Can I get an amen here? And so they write, they feel entitled, they, they should be retired, and they're not. They need to pass the baton to a younger generation and let them reach that generation. But a dead church often has that type of leadership. They just feel entitled. They feel like, I've been here all this long, I deserve this, and I'm just going to stay, and I, you know, they ha they're lazy, and they're carnal. Number four, a dead church neglects children ministries and youth ministries. And then number five, a dead church lacks evangelistic and missionary zeal. Nobody goes to the mission field, nobody gets saved, nobody gets baptized in dead churches. Now, here's the thing. Chuck Swindoll said, do any of these describe me? Am I contributing to the life of my church or to its death? See, the church is a reflection not only of the pastor. It's a reflection. The church reflects the membership. And so how we go personally 
is many times how the church goes. So the church of Sardis, they were known as a living church, but they were a dying church. They were lulled asleep. Now there are five commands, and I must quickly get to these five commands. Look, if you will, in verse uh, number five. He said, be watchful, strengthen the things that remain, if you're about, because, you know, they're, they're ready to die. There are a lot of things dying here. But I found your works not perfect for God. So he says, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast, see, the good things, and repent. Turn. You see, he was saying there's still hope for this dead church. There's still hope for this dead church. Now, wake up. Now, I got... Now, I have three points. Out of these five, I'm just going to give you three, okay? Number one, wake up, listen up, and shape up. And the fourth one I was going to give, but I decided not to, is shut up, because I know that I need to do that myself. (laughs) And Jan is up there, bless her heart. She's up there. Just She is going to mute me when time is up, (laughs) just for old time's sake. She might do it now. I don't know, and I just wouldn't wouldn't have any voice at all. But anyway, uh, wake up. We need to wake up. Any of you out there trying to take a nap? Well, don't take a nap on God either. I mean, I, I, used, to, my, I used to see people napping in church. And uh, I remember saying one time, I said, Honey, would you wake up your husband? And she, she hollered back real loud. Why don't you wake, wake him up? You put him to sleep. So I just, I don't do that anymore. I, I, learned, I learned better that. <laughs> so I'm just saying to you, wake up. Except the Bible says in Psalms 27.1, except the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain that build it. Paul said in Romans 13 and verse 11, now it is high time to wake out of our sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now, Waking up. Now, I want you to look back in, in Revelation 3 and verse 1. The angel to the church of Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, someone said, what in the world? I thought there was a Holy Spirit. How come there are seven spirits? Well, that's, an, that's, that's just an analogy it's referring that God's Holy Spirit, seven is a number for completion, fullness. So the power of the Holy Spirit of God is spoken there in in that phrase, the seven spirits of God, simply is saying God's Spirit is fully capable. It is complete. It is the power of the Holy Spirit of God to do and to work in our lives exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever ask. Now I want you to tell you that this church was operating almost dead because they did not have the life-giving spirit of the Word of God. They did not have the Holy Spirit working. I want you to turn that when we began to do the church without the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter number 3, will you turn? And let's look there for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible tells us there that we need the Holy Spirit of God. And in verse number 14, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 14, For this reason I bow on my knees to the Father, 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with, with might through what? His Spirit. See, the, the Holy Spirit works in us so that we can comprehend, we get grounded in love. We may dwell, Christ would dwell in us. Verse number 19. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's what he's talking about here. The seven spirits talks about God's full power to enable and encourage the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to do the work of the ministry. Because I want to tell you, it is, a, it is a really tiring work to try to do God's work in your own strength. It is a terrible uh, a wearing down of your life and your spirit when you're just up in the flesh and doing the work uh, in the flesh. So you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem is, how do you get the Holy Spirit's fullness? You see, when the Lord saves us, we get all of the Holy Spirit to indwell us, but the 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 fullness of the Holy Spirit has to do with control. Now, I want you to look in uh, Ephesians 5 and verse number 18. There's a key verse here, and we have it for you. Verse 18 says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, don't be drunk with wine which is dissipation. Dissipation means debauchery. It means excess. It means wasted. You give fully your life away to alcohol. And that's what he's saying. Don't be filled or controlled. And the law says you're under the influence. You're controlled by alcohol. Don't give your life to debauchery, to dissipation. But he said give your life for the filling of the Holy Spirit. See, it's, it's talking about who do you give permission to control your life? Who are you allowing full control of your, your thoughts, of your actions? You should be under the influence, not of alcohol, but of the Holy Spirit. Can I get a witness here? We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Well, how do we not have that? Look at, in chapter 4 and verse number 30. Look what it says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed to the day of redemption. You know, we quench the Spirit's working in our life. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? In verse number uh, 31, it says, because we're bitter, because we're angry, we're resentful, we're, we speak evil one to another. We're filled with malice or evil, evil thoughts all the time. So when we, are, when we are angry, when we are bitter, when we are unforgiving, he says in verse 32, be kind one to another. When you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to help you have his spirit and to be kind to, to one another, to be tenderhearted, to have compassion, to be forgiving one of another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, then he says, not only should we stop grieving the Holy Spirit, but he says if in verse number 19 of chapter 5, we follow up with, what are we supposed to do? If you're going to be filled with the Spirit, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Don't you like to sing? I love singing. I sing in the shower. I sing in the car. I sing on the way when I'm walking from the parking lot. I like to sing. 
I'm not a very good singer, but I can sure make a joyful noise. Uh, you don't need to say amen on that. But we ought to sing, make spiritual songs. I love the music we do. I love the uplifting spirit. I love the fact that we praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to another in psalms and sp- uh, hymns and spiritual songs, singing, make your melody in your heart. Number two, give thanks. Quit grumbling. Quit complaining. You know, I know we're going through a tough time, but hey, there have been tougher times. We could be like the church of Smyrna, where they were going through great persecution, and they were, they were literally, that church was poor because they, they literally were run out of their jobs. They were ostracized from the, by the Jews, and they are ostracized ostracized by the Romans, and they were literally hungry and starving. But the Bible says they were poor, but they were actually rich. The last church, Laodicea, they are rich in world's goods, but they were poor spiritually. So quit grumbling, complaining. This is going to come to pass. If it isn't, is Jesus still Jesus? Is Jesus still Lord? Yeah. Is he still loving us? Is he still giving us grace? You see, is there there any benefit to trials? Absolutely. I don't like trials. I don't say, oh, Lord, please visit me with some more trials. Oh, no, thank you. I don't have to pray for trials. They come, amen. They walk in the front door, and they walk in the back door. I get on the highway, and they, they meet me on the freeway. Yeah, trials come everywhere. You don't have to pray for trials. You've got to pray for grace. You've got to pray for the fact that God is wanting to change you. So wake up. Listen to what God is saying to you. That's number two. Not only should we wake up, but we ought to listen up. Review your life. Listen to what God is saying to you. When's the last time you felt God speaking to you? Get along with God. One of my favorite times to pray is in the middle of the night when I wake up and I walk out in the backyard and I look up and I say that prayer that he gave during the music. Our Father, who art in heaven, I know you're up there, Lord. <laughs> and I pray, hallowed be thy name. I start out praying that. And then I pray a couple of other prayers. And what a wonderful joy it is to say, Lord, I'm here. I'm just interested in knowing you better. I'm interested in having a better and closer relationship with you. Lord, I want, I, I want you to know that I am available to hear what you want me to do, what you want me to say. You see, healthy Christians admit, healthy Christians admit, I've wandered away. I'm not on fire for the Lord like I used to be. I don't study. I don't pray like I used to. Healthy Christians admit. And then not only do they listen, but they shape up. Repent, he says. If you go back to Revelations, Repent and turn to me. We need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, in those uh, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people, you know, we always want to, we always want to say, if it wasn't for that crowd, if it wasn't the extreme leftists, if it wasn't the extreme rightist, if it wasn't this group, that group, the Bible says they are the world. He that overcomes the world is those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read John, uh, 1 John chapter 5. The, the overcoming the world is not winning 
them to your ideology. It is knowing that we have faith in Jesus Christ. I can't save anybody. He does the saving. Amen? I just hold up the truth. I just speak the truth in love. I just learn how to be like Jesus wants me to be. So I need to shape up. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, boy, that's hard, isn't it? Humble yourself. We the healthiest people in church are the people who admit, admit they're not doing right. They've sinned. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, can I tell you this morning, there's shaping up. Now, this is an addendum to the sermon. I want to give it real quick. Would you turn back to Revelation? Maybe you're still there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. He says, there are seven, there are seven spirits of God. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So we need to wake up, and we need to listen up, and we need to shape up. But then the other, the other thought I want to give you in closing. He said, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. Now, I believe it's the pastor as the messenger of the church, the angel of the church. He said, I want you. And you say, well, what are the seven stars? Well, it says right over here in chapter 1, the mystery of the seven stars, verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand the seven stars of the angels of the churches. The Lord calls pastors to churches to lead. And the Lord called, has called many pastors of this church. And he's lately called another pastor. This year, I think this month's four years, he's been a pastor here. And I feel honored to preach in his, in his uh, absence. But if I, I, and I preach in other churches, because we have a shepherd's watchman ministry, then we try to encourage pastors. So I'm going to play like today. I'm in somebody else's church, and my, this pastor's not my son. Can I, can I do that? I just want to tell you what I tell other churches. It's important to understand your pastor is God called. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, he has the pastors in his hand. He he knows how to encourage them and squeeze them a little bit and touch them. And you call a pastor to preach the gospel. And thank God we have a wonderful staff who feels called of God to be in the ministry. I thank God for that. But pastoring a church is not easy. There are challenges. Every pastor carries burdens. And I want to tell you, I have... I preached at a fellowship meeting this last month, and I've, everywhere I travel, I stop in the cities and I talk to pastors. And I want to tell you, the pastors are worried today. There are so many burdens on them, and half the church, almost all the churches that I talk to, only half the population, half the congregation is showing up now. And and I know we're going through a difficult time, and some are afraid to come, and I understand that. But they're afraid that when this is all over, that half of them it's all going to that's all they're going to be. I hear, I hear him talking. So let me tell you that a pastor needs a church to protect him, to provide for him, 
to invest in him, to pray for him. It's important for a pastor to get away and be refreshed. It's important for him to be out of the pulpit so when he comes back, he feels refreshed to preach the Word of God. So give, I I tell every church that I preach in, provide for your pastor prayers and encouragement. Write him a note of encouragement. I I remember uh, when Brother Dunn came, and we were meeting in the family center. And that's, that was our first building. And I remember Brother Dunn, that's Joy's grandfather, your great-grandfather, Blair. And uh, I remember him coming up to me, and he was, he was such an encourager. He did this for me in Sweetwater. But he came up to me, and he said, you are the man for the job. And not only did he say that for me, but he, he, he got up and he prayed, and he said, I just want the church to know Uh, that you have a pastor, and he, I believe, is God's man for the job. I I hear it just like it was yesterday. Boy, that encouraged me. He said that in Sweetwater. He said it here. And you know, if Brother Dunn is in heaven today, if Brother Dunn were to come back, and he were to walk up in this pulpit, and and he was going to lead us in prayer, you know what I think he'd say? He said, you have called a pastor. And if I can say it like he does, and he's a man for the job. That's that's Brother Dunn's voice. (laughs) You know what? I think he'd say that. Because I think you have called a pastor that is the man for the job. But you know, he'll be a better pastor if you pray more for him. He'll grow as a pastor if you'll invest in him and encourage him. Let him have books and let him go to seminars and let your staff do the same way when when it opens up again so they can grow and learn and feed from one another. You know, I'm just saying to you, a dead church will not do that. A dying church will not do that. But you have done it. And many of you are doing it. Can I just encourage you, just keep doing it. This is a living church. If I could preach Philadelphia, I'd, I'd just tell you all the things about this church that are so much like Philadelphia. And some of the other churches, the Lord commended them. But then he said, look, you're not all that you could be. You can do more. You can be better. You can continue to grow. You can come through this and be a stronger church with a greater ministry. But you know what you have to do? You have to decide. Listen to what God is saying to you. Is this a church that reflects your life? Think about your life. Are you a growing Christian? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you a loving, are you a forgiving person? Is God working in your life are you alive for Jesus Christ? Listen, one of, one of the goals in my life when I was, uh, after I retired from full-time pastoring, I said, Lord, I want a sweeter, closer relationship with you than I've ever had before. I'm going to tell you, you have to be intentional to get that. But if you get intentional with God and His Word and prayer and do a little fasting, that don't hurt either. You can have a closer walk with Jesus, and it can get sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Let's bow our heads in prayer.
Now, while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me ask you something. There's an important question I posed to you earlier. Is the church a reflection of your life? How alive? If, if, If the church really reflected your life, how alive would it be? And then the the second question as we close, are you contributing to the health of Hallmark Baptist Church or are you contributing to its death? That's a sobering question. That's the question from the church of Sardis, the dying church. They're dying and didn't know it. Let's listen up. Let's wake up and let's shape up that we can be what God wants us to be, a living, vibrant, growing, loving, forgiving child of the King. Father, I just thank you for this time together. Bless this church. I thank you for its pastor. And I pray, Lord, that you will, Lord, revive this church, that God's people will pray and seek your face and confess their sins, their apathy and unconcern. Lord, the sins that you speak to us about in our life, that, Lord, we might be persevering, growing, addressing the things in our life that you convict us about, Lord. So thank you. Thank you for this word. And bless us, Lord, as we close in these worship messages. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.